podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Some of the topics are addiction, fear, faith, self-compassion, relationships, codependency, emotional intelligence, and more. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. There is hope, holistic approach to addiction. In this episode, I'll be having a conversation with Michael Roth. Michael Roth is an experienced holistic addiction and wellness specialist. He's a certified addictionologist with a specialty in compulsive behaviors and disorders. A certified sexual addiction recovery coach, he is a certified intimacy and eroxia coach and a nationally certified life coach. He's also an author and a speaker. In his book, Sex and Love Addiction Recovery, he outlines master steps to creating any form of change. Michael Roth has been practicing California for over 34 years. He has spent the last three decades learning new cutting-edge modalities that allowed him to give his clients the most effective and modern care available. His approach is holistic, meaning that he addresses each client as a whole person with an emphasis on the body-mind connection. Here is the interview with Michael Roth. Welcome, Michael Roth, and thank you for having this conversation with me today. In your own words, who is Michael Roth? Michael Roth is uh, a man, a 63-year-old man who uh, is on a journey. And at this juncture in life, I'm about making a difference on the planet and saving people's lives. And I would say that's who I am. Thought patterns of addiction are energetically alive, and that which is alive and becomes threatened with obsolescence will fight to survive, and sometimes in secret ways. The nature of these impulses will continue as long as we live, which is why awareness must be maintained and progress must be continued. Is it my destiny set up to live a life of constant courageousness as a countermeasure to what affects me? Yes, but all of this is a gift, not a curse. For all I can think 
of no better way to fulfill my absolute potential. This was written by Daniel Andrew on Quora. Michael, have you ever thought of addiction and the strategies we create to live with it as a gift? <laughs> yes, actually, uh, addiction is a gift. And um, wow. Yeah, you caught me off by a little bit by surprise. Yes, I, um, you know, in, in my own recovery with sex and love addiction, not so much at the beginning when I, when I actually realized that I had an addiction, but through the process of recovery and continuing to recovery, I now see it as a gift, totally. And that's part of why I want to take the next chapter of my life and really share it with other individuals who struggle, where right now it isn't a gift for them. All these years, you know, I had a sex and love addiction. I would fall in love with people, think, you know, and when I would be in a relationship, I would think that I'm in the wrong relationship. There's somebody, you know, I'm supposed to be with out there. And, you know, that ran my life. Just it, it ran it. And uh, one day I realized that, holy cow, you know, this is, uh, you know, there's an addiction here. And once I discovered it, I began the journey for me to heal. That's the gift. And then to share that gift with others and to help others. That's the gift. You know, there doesn't have to be suffering. So that's, that, that's how I saw it. What is the difference between an addiction, a habit, and an obsession? Well, the, it, it's not black and white. I mean, uh, habit and obsession are all components of an addiction. So, you know, you could have a habit of going to the gym or running in the morning, and that's a habit. If somebody, you know, a, a man I saw recently who masturbated compulsively, that became a habit. And also, it became an obsession because there was an urge accompanying with it. And because he, could, he wasn't able to stop, that, that made it an addiction, and it was hurting his relationship. See, with an addiction, if, you're, if you know that there is a negative consequence or an impact, and you continue to do the behavior, that's considered an addiction. Pornography is uh, very, very big right now, and there's a lot of people who are addicted to it. It starts out very innocent. You know, let's check out a, you know, a video or, or something online, and the more, the more repetitious that becomes, it becomes a habit, and then the feelings accompanied with the behavior makes it really difficult to stop, and that, then it becomes an obsession, and then an addiction. But all three are wrapped in one, though. They're not separate entities. The definition of addiction, it's knowing that something's actually harming you or others, but you're not able to stop. Yeah, you do it anyway. Yeah. yeah. So would you say that's the lack of consciousness? Well, usually the person knows, they're, they're conscious that, there's a, that what they're doing is impacting others and themselves in a negative way. And they're not able to stop it. Because knowing something doesn't carry the day. Because if you look at, you know, I live in California. If you look around, there's a lot of people who are obese. Yeah. And they know how to lose weight. If I said to, you know, how do you lose weight? You cut your calories, you exercise, you eat selectively. Yet, 
we have an, a country of uh, obesity. So it doesn't really some doesn't really matter what you know. In my mind, I mean, it's nice to know, but it takes more than that. So knowing something does not mean you are conscious of something. Yes, I okay. I agree with that. I agree with that statement. Yes. Okay. Thank you. Um, the next question is. What is the difference between sex, love, addiction, and codependency? Once again, the two are often uh, in one. You know, codependency, a person is often controlled or manipulated by another person. You know, that's kind of the standard definition of codependency. Love addiction, the individual falls in love, and that, that individual is like the object of their existence. Even though in many times they know it's destructive, it could be abusive, and they're, you know, they're dependent on you know, that, that individual, hence the codependency. So there's uh, quite an overlap in that. Yes, I see that. It's hard to, um, to separate them in a way. Yes, exactly. How can we learn to recognize our addictions before life becomes unmanageable or destructive? Yeah, that's, that is a brilliant, brilliant question. And uh, so unfortunately, and this is from my experience, so it's not necessarily like the truth, is that in the world of us, specifically in the world of sex and love addiction, most people are in denial, I have found. And it's not until, to use your word, if life becomes unmanageable or the person hits rock bottom, they get caught having an affair, they get caught on the internet, you know, or they get, you know, some sort of uh, negative consequence, and then the veil of denial becomes lifted. My hope and, and is that the more, you know, someone like you has podcasts like this, and the more that there's more talk about sex and love addiction, and it becomes like a mainstream conversation, a little bit like alcohol, but in the world of sex and love addiction, I think that... Uh, people will begin to realize before they hit rock bottom that they have a problem and then they'll be able to get help then. Yes, I agree. So denial, would denial be sort of interlaced with shame because we don't want it to be judged as bad people because we are doing some bad things? Yeah, so you're asking if shame is tied into denial? Yes. Absolutely it is, absolutely. Yeah. And again, you know, my area of expertise is, you know, in the world of sex and love addiction. With that, there's usually a, a component of shame, you know, yeah. like what I'm doing is bad and wrong, you know, like uh, right. home masturbating or Internet or voyeurism or visiting prostitution or massage parlors. You know, people who do those types of things and who have that addiction or, the, or that compulsion lead a, lead a secret life. They don't want anybody to know because of what you said, the shame. A person isn't their addiction. They may feel that, that they are, but I don't, that's not my belief system. In your book, Sex and Love Addiction Recovery, you mentioned that secondary addictions and compulsions are common among sex love addicts. Are secondary addictions and compulsions also common among addicts in general? I have found that, yes, yes. So if you, if you go to a 12-step a meeting and let's say it's sex and love addiction, you'll hear in a conversation 
that um, many of the individuals also have a chemical addiction, whether it be alcohol and drugs or drugs or gambling. But often there is secondary and tertiary addictions. Why is that? To me, an addiction is an addiction. You know, there's a, it's a form of escape. And, you know, what I'm noticing, too, in, uh, as I coach people, is that many of the individuals, unbeknownst to them, also struggle with depression and anxiety, mm. or one of, one of the two or both. But usually it's to distract or escape. And, uh, you know, the feelings of, of drugs, alcohol, sex and love is very, very powerful. Do you think that depression and anxiety lead to addiction? I would say they definitely can play a part. I mean, I'm not a psychotherapist, uh, and a lot of the people that I have met and a lot of the people that I have coached, you know, usually, you know, there's anxiety or depression or a combination of both. Yes. And, you know, yes. Right. Dr. Jared May, the psychiatrist and founder of MAR, M-A-R-R, Addiction Treatment Center, he wrote, An addict is seeking a greater depth of peace and fulfillment, but only finds greater emptiness and pain. The separation from God and from healthy spirituality is intensified by an increased pattern of actions that could be considered evil or sinful. Addiction sets up a trap for us. While appearing to address a deep need, we are drawn to its attractiveness and the promise of feeling complete in some way. A replacement for God is introduced to rob us of true spirituality. We become spiritually malnourished, believing we have found peace, abundance, and fulfillment in the very thing that will rob us of it. What do you think, Michael, about this statement made by Dr. May? Specifically, what do you think he's trying to say with the phrase, a replacement for God is introduced? Yeah, the way I, you know, what I hear in that is, is that um, we, we have, and, and we're all connected to God or a higher power or source. And many human beings experience the separation and we they use the the relationship the sex the chemicals as a way to like an illusion to have a sense of god or pleasure and then then it's over then the, you know the relationship is over the, the act is over the chemical wears off and then there's this huge emptiness because the you know the chemical or the person or the or the sex is used as uh you know, as the drug or a way to experience God. Right. I would like to understand this better from your perspective. You said that we are connected to God. What is God to you? Yeah, how do I, how do I explain that? So I believe that everything is source, and I'm using the word source, God, in, in the same as consciousness. Yeah. All that is God, and we are God. You and I Inside of us, we are and, and uh, are connected with God or a higher power or consciousness. That's a fundamental belief that I have. Yes. And, you know, the game, what I call the game, is to 
experience that within myself rather than looking outside of myself to have that experience. How do you experience this connection with God within yourself? One of the ways that I can do that is I can meditate. I can, you know, close my eyes and go within and get really quiet and have that experience. The other way is to connect with other people as if they are God, because they are, and look at them and have the experience of them like I'm being with this person and, and he or she is God or source and actually relating to them from, from that perspective. Mm. That's how I do it. Those couple, those couple of ways. Yes, I like that. You can look, you can look at nature, go in the woods, look at the ocean, and that's all consciousness also. Yeah, so in a way, we are connected to everything, but we need to find that source, as you call it, within first, right? So we're able to identify what that feels like, that connection. Yes. It's hard to describe, isn't it? Very hard to describe until you've experienced it once, and then off you go. Okay. But most of us are running around completely disconnected. And that's part of how the 12 steps works for a lot of uh, individuals is they're bringing in, you know, a higher power as a, as a place to start. So you talk about the separation also, like you just said, um, that we have been separated from God. How does it happen? Like when, when we are children or was just through a, our education, um, the uh, society, the system, um, through a trauma? Well, my understanding, and I don't, I don't know, I don't know what the actual truth is, but uh, with all that I've read, studied over the years in my own experience, you know, before, my, before I'm conceived, I'm using me, before an individual is conceived, they are, you know, one with source. And then when we incarnate into a body, that experience is, is uh, I'm going to call it, you know, lost temporarily until we, until we pass or leave, you know, go to another realm where, where it's reestablished. So part of, to me, living the life of a human being is to, while I'm on this planet, is to really experience God. Hmm. Oh, the separation from God, but then also... Uh the connection. It's almost like we are separated for a reason, so we know what to be connected to God feels like. Yes, something, something like, like that. It, yeah. I think the problem, I would say, to, uh, to think about I mean, the way you think that being a human being, that's already the separation in a way. You're separated from God because you incarnated as a human being. You're in this body. But that means I have to believe in... Um, I don't know, some sort of metaphysical, some sort of a life after death or, or mind continuation, another philosophy in Buddhism. Do you think that would be a requirement to understand the connection no. and separation from God? I, 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 I don't. I think that, uh, you know, all religions lead to the same place. You know, I don't think one religion, one philosophy is better than the other. I think that the fact that there's a variety of religions or what I'll call paths attract different individuals, but I think they all lead to the same place, which is God, God within. In your book, you speak about the six master steps to creating any form of change. What are they? Well, first of all, you have to decide 
what is it I want? What what is it that I want to train? What what is it I want to change? And then once you decide that, you want to look at well, what's in the way of that? What's preventing me from actually changing? And really getting present and conscious of what it is. Then you want to get leverage. And what I mean by that is, so let's just say as an example, someone compulsively masturbates. I've used that because that's really common. To getting leverage is, so is there a pain associated with that? And if there is, you know, really create the pain of that, of that behavior or activity. Also, why do you want to change? Really, what's the why? Making the why really, really big because you need a why to alter something. The third area would be to interrupt the pattern. Again, if, 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 if I'm masturbating and I want to change that pattern, I want to interrupt it. So if I'm feeling like I'm going to, I have that urge, I could slap my wrist, I could jump up and down, do some sort of behavior to alternate the pattern. And then I want to create an empowering alternative. So what would I want to do instead of masturbating and then create something, something fun? I have here three of them. Um, why do you want to change and then leverage, like seeing if, what kind of pain you're having from that, the negative effects, and then why you're doing it. And then at fourth, I think you said creating or sort of replacing um, yeah, that I think activity. You want, yes. Before that, though, you want to interrupt the pattern. So that's I'll probably interrupt. the third thing. It, pattern yeah. interrupt. Then creating an empowering alternative. So what would I do in its place? And then once I have the new pattern, I want to create, I want to condition it. I want to repeat it over and over and over and over and over mm-hmm. so it becomes a habit. And then the final piece is, is to test it. And, and what I mean by that is like future pacing. So close my eyes and then imagine the old behavior and just see what comes up. See if, you know, I feel like I have a charge around it or I have a a need to do it. And if I do, then I would go back through the steps. And then if I don't, then I've altered that uh, behavior. It sounds interesting. uh, I have a question about recognizing, trying to identify pain. Like, is there pain associated with what you're doing? You, You mentioned, as an example, masturbation. So what kind of pain would be physical or emotional, moral, like probably feeling guilty? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, all that. So let's just use an example. Let's say you're, let's say you're, uh, you're married and you're, you're withholding from your partner, yet you are masturbating. And then your partner finds out and he or she is really, really upset. That would be a form of pain to have to deal with the relationship, to have to, you know, feel the, the, the confrontation, uh, you know, all that would be would be a version of pain in, in, in Internet pornography, getting caught by your partner and then, you know, having to deal with the anger and the hurt and the upset and, you know, the betrayal, all that is pain. And what a lot of people don't do is they don't focus in on the pain, you know, especially if you're an addict, you know, you're doing it anyway. But, you know, to, to make the change, you have to, I think one of the thing the aspects is you have to get really in touch with the consequence of pain and the impact on others and yourself as a form of leveraging a way to change and transform the behavior. What would be a healthy uh, masturbation uh, habit? Yeah, that's a great question. 
really, really great, great, great question. So with women, women are able to masturbate without fantasy. So some do that, some masturbate with fantasy. With men, it's very, very difficult. Most men, when they masturbate, are masturbating to a fantasy. The fantasy could be something they're watching on television, a movie, internet, or something in their head. So it's tricky in terms of what you say, you know, is healthy. If you are, if, if you are an, a sex and love addict, masturbation and fantasy would not be helpful at all, especially if you ever want to be in a relationship and be intimate and to um, really go deep with the person next to you. Um, fantasy gets in the way of that. What about without fantasy, like for women, for us, we don't really, like you said, maybe not all of us, right, women, but um, maybe most of us, um, no, no fantasy, it, it's really um, needed. Would that be healthy? Well, so here's the thing. So, so there are people in the world that are single, that are not in relationships and have needs and, you know, and would actually pleasure themselves. And that would be okay. And then there are other people who it becomes a compulsion. If there's a compulsion, then I don't believe there's any healthy masturbation, especially, in, you know, initially. The once in a while thing I would think would be considered healthy. The daily ritual, uh, then it's entering the world of compulsivity. And, and then you want to uh, ask in the world of uh, intimacy because there's something called an intimacy anorexic where they would prefer to be with themselves rather than being with another person and then mm. creating distance. So the, the, the line is once in a while, fine, but if it becomes like a daily practice, it, it's heading into the world of compulsion and then red flags arise. I understand the once in a while piece, sure, but if you are in a relationship and you are intimate Why are you choosing to self-pleasure rather than being with another person? See, that's the red flag for me. Right. No, that makes sense for me, too. Um, but what about women who are not really being pleased? They, the, the men, um, their husbands, they don't know how to touch them, how to give them pleasure. Yeah, no, I understand. I get that. So I would ask, if I were coaching those people, I would ask the, the woman you know, could you share your masturbatory practices with your partner, you know, rather than keeping it separate? See, that's the piece. You know, you could masturbate and pleasure yourself and, uh, and include your partner in it. And whether they watch or whether they, you tell them kind of what to do and coach them. But it's the separate stuff that gets a little bit tricky. Mm. Uh, what I mean by separate, not with the partner. Yes, yeah. Now, that makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, of course. The 12 steps carefully walk the addict through exactly what they need and when they need it. When the 12th step is reached, they find that spiritual awakening is supported by actively working with others. It is in the action of reaching out to each other and helping others that spirituality of recovery is truly found. Well, I agree with that statement. I mean, we talked about it earlier. I mean, we are deeply, deeply connected. And many of us through addiction discover that. That's one of the gifts of, of, uh, of addiction, in my mind, 
It allows one to discover who we really are. I I get the thoughts and patterns. I get that there's a voice in our head that just goes and goes and goes, and uh, it's very, very distracting. You know, I I get that. And I learned a long time ago that the voice in my head is not the truth. It's just neurons firing in my brain. So I get that. I, I believe that human beings are on a path while they're alive. And that path is to experience love and the love is experience the oneness with source or God or consciousness. That's that's what I've learned in the 63 years. You know, if I, I wish I knew what I knew now when I was 25. I, I don't. You know, I didn't. I know what I know now. And, uh, you know, to me, the key is to really experience the divinity and the, of, uh, and the love that's within all of us. And... An addiction allows that if a person stays long enough in the world of recovery. I think in a way I'm trying to sort of uh, point out an example, like, um, you know, reference um, of a person, a human being who is um, connected with the source and uh, consciously is walking this earth just um, united free of addiction. So I'm just wondering if that person um, exists. Yeah, that's a great question. What a great inquiry. You know, I don't have the answer to that. Um, I don't know anybody personally that uh, I could say, you know, so-and-so, but I, I would imagine there are. I would imagine, but uh, I, don't, uh, I don't know of uh, those people. Okay, let me know when you meet one. Yeah, <laughs> Send I will. me an email. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, in the book, uh, The Biology of Desire, Why Addiction is Not a Disease, Mark Lewis said, addiction results from the motivated repetition of the same thoughts and behaviors until they become habitual. Addiction arises from the same feelings that bind lovers to each other and children to their parents. If addiction is a disease, then it should have a cause, a time course, a possible cure, or at least agreed on methods of treatment. Do you agree with some of um, what Mark Lewis is saying? Yeah, yes, I do. Yes, I do. So I'd like to say a couple of things about that, if I may. Yes. You know, the whole labeling addiction as a, uh, as a disease. So I'm not a fan of... Uh, pathologizing uh, addiction. And yet, there's plenty of studies saying that, you know, addiction is a, is a disease of the brain. You know, neurotransmitters, there's a, you know, there's actual issues with the front prefrontal cortex. And um, the other thing is, addiction is considered a chronic. So, you know, no different than diabetes. Right. So it's true, you know, it's, uh, you know, none of this is like black and white, you know. So when you said there should be a cause, well, the cause could be a, a chemical imbalance in the brain. They have found that. I mm-hmm. mean, a time course. Well, I don't know about that. And there's no cure. And really, methods of treatment vary from 12-step programs to energy work to uh, mind-body techniques to yoga meditation, diet. You know, there's all sorts of things. And, um, 
But I, what I've learned at the end of the day is if a person is committed to recovery long enough where they can discover the oneness with their higher power, they can be in uh, abstinent for the rest of their lives and lead really great lives and powerful lives and make a huge difference on the planet. Yes. Yeah. I think one of the reasons most addicts, they are in denial, or they choose to be in denial, it's because of that label, disease. They don't want to really uh, be judged or titled like ill. I think this is actually, it gets in the way, the word disease for addiction. No, I agree with what you just said. You know, there's, uh, you know, there, there, there's the shame piece. And, you know, what I have seen in the uh, clients that I've coached is, including myself over the years, is that, oh, I can just handle this myself. I don't need anybody. I don't, you know, I can do it. I can do it. And uh, some can, most can't. Most need some sort of uh, support, whether it's a therapist, a, a doctor, a recovery coach. Yeah, it creates an accountability and other people are able to see things that the individual is not able to see and present it to them. So I think the, uh, the healing and recovery is, can be a lot better with other people involved as support systems. Most of the recovered addicts think of themselves as free, not cured. Why is that? Was that free, not cured? Yes, free, not cured. Yeah, yeah, because there's no, in the literature, there's no cure for, for an addiction. I mean, there's no, there's no cure. I mean, if your addiction is cigarettes, you stop smoking, and, you know, are you cured or have you just stopped smoking? You know, in the world of sex and love, you know, when, you're, when, when there's a person is under the throes of being addicted, there is absolutely zero freedom. They're at the effect of the drug or the, at the effect of the experience or the romance or the feeling of the woman, the man, or the, uh, the orgasm. There's no freedom. Mm-hmm. When you stop and you, you know, go through the process of recovery, then you have choice. Then you have a domain of freedom. But is that underlying mechanism still there? Was there, you know, the trauma happened, all the things that led to that are still still there. So I think freedom is the key. That is the key. No yes. question about it. So in a way, whatever we attached uh, our, our, the energy of addiction to, it's sort of the symptom, right? It's not really what the problem is. Uh, like we talked earlier, the main issue would be the separation from God. So the energy is just looking for that connection again. That's the belief that I, uh, I run under, absolutely. But now uh, in the world we live today with, you know, secular, it's kind of hard to use the word God. I know the 12 steps they use, the higher power, but it's yes. sort of hard to, like an atheist, you know, a secular person, it's really hard for them to understand that. It is. It is. And for a lot of people that I've met over the years, that has gotten in the way of their recovery. You don't have to use the word God, but you have to, well, I don't know about you have to, but it would be helpful to realize that there's something bigger than us. Mm-hmm. And in 12 steps, they use the word higher power, but that there's something bigger. Yes, something bigger 
whatever, you know, God, the source, that, that connection is, that is not a concept. It cannot be understood by the mind. That's the, what it is too, right? So maybe we're exactly. we are trying well to understand it. intellectually and this is never going to happen. Exactly. Wow. Mm. Please talk to me about the somato emotional repatterning. Great. One of my one of my favorite subjects. Yeah. So back in the back in the 80s, I trained with a, a, a guy, a kinesiologist in Brooklyn, New York, and he taught me back then uh, the use of the eyes and moving the eyes in different directions actually can change the energy around an, a, an emotion. And uh, so I've been using uh, using that in my career prior, you know, with, with health symptoms and this and that. And um, what somato-emotional patterning does is it's a mind-body technique. So let's just say when I meet somebody as a client and they want to say stop, um, let's see, so recently uh, I'm coaching a guy who wants to stop uh, internet pornography and masturbating. The first thing that I check for using somato-emotional repatterning is I look for blocked recovery. So if you turn your neck to the right and turn your neck to the left, I'm looking to see if they're going to be even. If you make a statement like, I'm willing, I'm okay giving up masturbating, and then you turn your neck to the right and the left, and then one side begins to lock up, or you reduce the range of motion, that tells me that there's something, there's a blind spot that the, that the person has. They say they want to stop, but there's a part of them that doesn't. And then we go in and, and start exploring where the blocks are. And the way we clear it or the way we change the energy is I have the person move their eyes in different directions while they're clenching their teeth. And then they go back and think of the same event or make the same test statement, and then the neck releases. So because wow. you can't see it and you can't, you know, I don't have a way to demonstrate it. I want you to imagine that if you make a statement that's not true, even like your name is something else, your body instinctually will, will create a tension on one side of the body and it will affect your neck. It'll affect your ankles. And that's a way that the body tells me whether the person is really congruent with what they're saying. I use it as a feedback mechanism because, again, when somebody's in front of me, whether I'm doing it on Skype or FaceTime or, or face-to-face, people think and say that they want something, but there might be a block in the way. So that's the first part of this. You know, back in the day, you know, people would say, oh, I want to lose weight. And, you know, and then they'd stick their arm up and I would muscle test them and then their arm would go down. You know, they want to lose weight, but there's a part of them that doesn't. Mm. Well, it's, it's the same thing with addiction recovery. People want to stop their addiction and they think they do. And this brings up what's in the unconscious to conscious because a lot of people don't realize that they don't want it, that there's a block. So this is a real live on the court where the person could feel, wow. Yeah, I made that statement and now I can't I can feel my neck is tense on one side but not the other. So it gives them a direct feedback mechanism that, ah, oh, well, maybe I'm not, maybe there is a block. And then we explore the block. It's very powerful. I've used it for over 30 years. It's it, it works really, really well. 
the somatoemotional repatterning is is uh, what people would 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 understand is that it's a little bit like EMDR and it's a little bit like tapping, but it's not it's not either one of those things, but it's like that. And it has nothing to do with unlearning anything. It's about bringing to awareness what was beneath the awareness. Mm. And then once we find what was, uh, once we bring it, bring it up to awareness, then the individual says, oh, wow, I got a hit. It was something that happened when I was, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then we move the eyes and then it takes the emotional charge off. But the real beauty is self-discovery. Mm. That's the beauty because a lot of this stuff's under our awareness. And there's no way to heal something that's under our awareness. Once we shine the light on it and bring it up into our awareness, then the propensity to heal is uh, multiplied tenfold. We can't change the things we are not, we don't acknowledge, right? We don't know. Yes, exactly. As of today, what are three things about life you know for sure, Michael? Okay, so I would say, one of the things I know for sure is connecting with a higher power source or consciousness will enhance my well-being. I know that for sure. I know that if I, if my diet is optimal and I exercise on a regular basis, I know that that will contribute to my well-being. And then I also know that if I can make a difference and be a contribution to another person or the world, I know for sure that will contribute to anybody's well-being. Wow. Yeah, that's beautiful. Yes. Does that make sense? Yes, yes, yes. A thousand times. Yes. Thank you. The last question. Where can we find more information about you, your work, products, services, your future projects? Well, I have a website called BreakthroughAddictionRecovery.net. I have articles and um, how I can be reached. I work remotely, meaning I work with Skype and FaceTime with individuals all over the world. I also have offices uh, you know, in Ventura, California. But I think that would be the best way right now is, my, is that website. Again, BreakthroughAddictionRecovery.net. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Michael. That was a um, very enlightening conversation. Thank you oh, You're again. welcome, Valeria. You bet. Thank you for listening. For more information about Michael Ruff, visit his website, BreakthroughAddictionRecovery.net. To know more about previous and future conversations, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again and bye for now.